0: if you get a trailer that you're really happy with change the music client can't afford it change it that is a great grounding in how to be a trailer editor
1: that is a great skill to have i can't imagine doing that for fun though
0: Hello and welcome to The Cutdown, a podcast all about the art of trailer editing. I'm Rick Thomas. And I'm Derek Liu. And this is episode number five. This week we're going to be talking about how to break into the trailer industry. And also, last week was E3, so we're going to talk a
1: little bit about the trailers that came out from that.
0: Yeah, E3 is always a busy time for the games trailer business. Um, so much content gets released over that week. I don't know how many trailers came out, but it was certainly a lot. I know the uh, trailer houses get ridiculously busy in the kind of month run-up, and I think that's probably the same for yourself as an as a indie freelance trailer editor.
1: Yeah, actually, last year was way, way busier for me than this year. Last year I was working on four different trailers, but this year actually only one. But uh, two of trailers of mine came out during E3. One was specifically for E3, one they had just been sitting on for a long time, and I'd finished months
0: earlier. I guess it's kind of, in a way, it's a good time to release a trailer because obviously so much attention gets focused on E3. But then also at the same time, maybe it's a bad time to release a trailer because there's so much content out there and there's a risk of people missing it. I'm not sure if it's
1: actually smart to release a trailer during E3 if you're not in any of the press shows. Because, you know, press are at E3, so they're not necessarily going to be watching, say, Twitter for stuff that is not yet E3 proper. Whenever people ask me about timing and when to release a trailer, I usually defer to PR and marketing people and
0: say, I just make the trailers good. I think there's probably a lot of trailer roundups as well, so you can get kind of grouped in with the bigger, kind of more um, more newsworthy stuff. There were a load of great trailers this year. Um, I know Watchdog Legion got a lot of attention, and then uh, Cyberpunk 2077, the next step in the Kear-nessance. <laughs> The key, I can't say it. keanu Sans. The, rena- the renaissance of keanu <laughs> I don't know. Um, but there was so much content out that we just wanted to talk about a few. So Derek, you wanted to talk about um, the sequel to Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild. Yeah, this
1: one came out of the blue. Was, they did the Steve Jobs style, there is one more thing, which I guess maybe it's, maybe it's a Nintendo thing at this point. But it was a really good teaser. It's pretty much centered around this one scene where you have... Link and Zelda exploring this cavern. It has all sorts of runes and symbols on the wall. And then the main centerpiece is this kind of like mummified body being held by some sort of glowing green arm. And there's all sorts of dark energy coming out of it, but there's also this green energy coming out of it. And there's just a whole lot of stuff in here that has made the internet go nuts with uh, speculation. And most of it is actually in some of the quick cuts because if you don't watch it frame by frame, you'll miss certain things, like uh, Link's hand is glowing green at one point. And then there's other small things, like uh, at the beginning there's music, but it's playing backwards. I haven't actually looked up what that music is from, but if you're going to play anything backwards in a trailer, then, of course, you can have people reverse it and try to figure out what's the significance of that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and similarly, if you put anything in those kind of flash frame shots, then people are going to kind of go frame by frame and break those down as well. I was never particularly a Nintendo person, so I was not a, a particular Zelda fan. I found this very arresting. I think there was great sound design. Um, you know, there's heartbeats in there, which is a bit of a cliche, but it really works here. And actually, it's kind of interesting. We were talking last time about Death Stranding, where there's so much in there. You know, it's everything in the kitchen sink. And this was actually kind of good for, for how minimal it was and that maybe it didn't need more from there. There was also a moment that I really liked as a as a kind of outsider. There was a, a nice cut from a kind of mountain that was kind of rumbling in the distance. And it was quite small in the shot. Um, and then it kind of cut to silence and cut back to. So I don't know the uh, the meaning of that, but it had an impact for me as a small moment.
1: Oh, that's really interesting coming from you. So that shot, I think, is Hyrule Castle. And one of the deep dives that some of the people went through with this trailer is they went to a Breath of the Wild GDC talk where during one of the idle slides, they showed some concept art that didn't make it into the first game. And they're realizing that some of the stuff from that concept art might be in this new game. For example, there's uh, some art of... I think link missing an arm and there's a shot of hyrule castle or at least a castle flying in the sky kind of um lapita style like the studio ghibli film so who knows how much that is actually in this game but they did a really good job of just putting a whole bunch of cool imagery in here that people have no reference for so then that people can go nuts
0: when was that original breath of the wild game
1: out i think has it been two years now already I think so. It's on the Switch and it was also on the Wii U. So yeah, that would be like two years ago. I know you said you liked the Hyrule Castle part, but what was just your overall impression when you saw this as a trailer editor?
0: I was kind of interested because actually it's one that I missed at E3 and actually when you said we're going to talk about the Zelda trailer, I looked at the uh, Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, which is a Switch game that kind of, I think, plays younger maybe?
1: Yeah, but that that trailer's also not terribly interesting. It's pretty straightforward as far as game trailers go
0: that's the one that i saw and i saw it, and it kind of looked conventional there was a lot of gameplay there were a lot of words on one card which i thought was an interesting lesson if you do look at that trader one of the cards is washed ashore on a strange land a castaway will seek the truth on one card and uh, i think it's a general trader making lesson for anyone that people always read slower than you think yes <laughs> and the copy wasn't particularly clever it was more to link pun intended sections of the uh, of the gameplay so i saw that first and I, and I thought oh that's interesting i wonder why we're talking about that and then um you actually reminded me that we were talking about the the other the other kind of more cinematic trailer, and I saw that, and um, yeah, I was I was kind of impressed, and I was intrigued, and like I say, there was kind of great sound design and. Um, and yeah, for me, that kind of connected more maybe because it was more cinematic and it felt more kind of movie in the, in the realm of movie trailers. And just so you know, if you hear
1: some rumbling when Rick is talking, it could be because he's next to people mixing movie trailers, which are bleeding into his sound booth.
0: Yeah, people play, people play uh, audio very loudly around this building, so it's, it's rare to find a quiet moment. But yeah, no, I was just generally very impressed with how kind of cinematic and movie trailer-esque it it seemed. And actually, I think it kind of proved a point to me about as a kind of outsider, maybe I need kind of less gameplay kind of stuff and actually something that kind of connects on more of a story or imagery kind of lesson is, is more interesting for me.
1: Yeah, I kind of feel like Nintendo has an A team and a B team for their trailers. So the A team would be the one making this Breath of the Wild and the B or maybe even C team are making things like the Link's Awakening trailer, which are very much long title cards, gameplay, then more title cards, kind of much less subtle as far as trailer editing goes.
0: Yeah, and while we're talking about um, big AAA games franchises from the 90s, uh, we could also talk about the trailer for Final Fantasy VII. Yes.
1: It's less of a gameplay trailer or even a cinematic trailer. It's just kind of like, let's show you lots of footage. At least that's how it feels to me. But Actually, what uh, did you play the original Final Fantasy VII?
0: I did, yeah. No, it's actually probably my favorite game of all times. So I've been very excited for this remake for a long time, uh, and I was a bit worried. I never really managed to get through any of the other games in the Final Fantasy series, so it's definitely one that I kind of latched onto. And in a way, as a fan, I'm kind of excited to see it done in a different way but also i kind of hope that they don't change too much so i'm kind of really caught there so so it's good to have a couple of things confirmed in this trailer that things aren't going to change too much Uh, and actually there was a really interesting talk again kind of referring back to Death Stranding that we were talking about last week we talked about getting a lot of information into that trailer to kind of satisfy people who were looking for different things and for me in this case with Final Fantasy 7 I actually found myself kind of seeking out more information because I needed more kind of clarification of okay how much are they actually changing here and what are the actual battle mechanics going to be this trailer kind of runs about four minutes as a fan I probably would have watched more you know there's great nostalgia with the music in there I was just glad to see a bit more really because I think Every once in a while, they've done a tech demo over the years where they've kind of done the same shot of Ares kind of on the street in Midgar and then kind of zooming out to reveal this kind of big city. And I feel like I've seen that shot a few times now. So it's good to kind of go beyond that and show that there was more. Weirdly, in terms of spoilers, content wise in this trailer, I was a little concerned because actually they don't really go past probably the first fifth of the game i've heard some talk of this coming out episodically and i'm I'm wondering whether that means that they haven't finished beyond a fifth of this film and the first thing that comes out next year is going to be that that's pretty
1: much the story and it sounds like the first game is going to be entirely inside of midgar and when the producer was asked about the parts of the game that come after that they said pretty much we don't know (laughs) i mean they're working on
0: it right now but it's pretty much going to be episodic and who knows how long it's going to take they're going to George R. R Martin it, and it's going to take 30 years. Which is fine with me, if they keep updating the uh, the consoles as they go.
1: That's another good point. It's plausible that, especially because the, the new PlayStation is going to be coming out, who knows, maybe next year or the year after, that it could straddle different consoles. Um, but, yeah, because the other thing they're doing is they're just expanding a lot of the game, so they'll just have... NPCs with just way more dialogue than they had in the original game so it's going to be even bigger in many many ways which
0: Final Fantasy 7 was already a really huge game just in terms of how long it took to beat it I mean it's good in a way that they're not just kind of putting an HD remake on it and saying okay that's good enough that they're really kind of diving in and, and taking the time to to explore what made it great and to, to kind of do it again but better um, which is exciting but yeah it was kind of obvious to me from this trailer that that was it But um, there were other things as well, kind of more from a trailer editing point of view um, that I found slightly strange. It was really interesting how they go between the gameplay and the cinematic. It happens quite often. And in a way, it's kind of organic. You know, you'll be kind of introduced to an environment or something, and then they'll slip into some gameplay and then go back to the kind of cinematic. But in a way, that that kind of did feel a bit jarring and a bit abrupt to me as well.
1: Yeah, I don't think there really was any strategy for how to transition between the two. I think... It feels to me like they pretty much said, okay, that's the cinematic part, let's show some gameplay now, now let's show some cinematic, now let's show some more gameplay. And it's just, the gameplay parts are just really awkward because I think they're just completely raw moments of gameplay. For example, the thing that I thought was really weird was just, there's just so much grunting in the gameplay, which makes sense for the game, but in a trailer, it's just a little bit weird to have all these segments in the trailer where you're
0: hearing, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's really clear that those are just from the game and it's not treated like an element of the trailer that they decided to put in at that point. It was just like, that's how it is.
0: Yeah, and they haven't done things that they could have done like break the camera and, you know, kind of get rid of the on-screen text and things like that. Like you say, it's kind of raw. It's also interesting as well uh, in terms of trying to making people pay attention to everything you put on screen, kind of like when we were talking about Zelda and and that, you know, everyone will analyze stuff frame by frame or backwards audio by backwards audio. There was one kind of emotional moment between Tifa and Cloud uh, and they cut to, a I think, a gameplay shot. And I read there's a sign on the wall of the cafe saying egg and chips at <laughs> <laughs> this kind of poignant moment of dialogue and I just kind of read egg and chips <laughs> um, and it's just very very strange and I just think you've, if what you're aiming for is clarity and you know good story construction you know people pay attention to everything and people make connections between everything and people absorb everything and everyone reads stuff differently so basically don't have a big sign in the middle of your trailer saying egg and chips
1: yeah because even though this trailer is four minutes long people are just trying to process information as fast as possible so when you've trained them to do that and then you put in something extraneous in like egg and chips then yeah that's gonna go into their brain and then they're gonna get distracted for a second uh when they should be paying attention to cloud and tifa having this quiet moment
0: yeah, it's something we talked about previously about things like the, you know, the Avengers trailer where I think I wonder if we can say it now, but, you know, Thanos is, uh, the Infinity Gauntlet had a couple of stones that were in it removed.
1: I think there were more stones in the gauntlet in the trailer than there were in that moment in the film.
0: Maybe it was the other way around.
1: No, yeah, the other way around because you wouldn't want people to know for sure that Thanos is going to get them all. Yeah, so they they removed some stones for the trailer.
0: Again, it's that kind of people will pay attention to everything, especially in this age of everything's in 4K and you can go through frame by frame and dialogue track by dialogue track. So, you know, you're just going to be careful about what is in there.
1: Yeah. The thing that really kills me, though, about this trailer and just a lot of trailers which are kind of cut in this uh, sort of haphazard style is just none of the dialogue fits together. It's clear that these are just scenes that were taken uh, just for the sake of those scenes. No one really thought, hey, the scene goes with this scene. The scene goes with this scene. Like, oh, actually, let's put the Cloud and Tifa bar moment. Okay, now let's show this moment from uh, Cloud and Sephiroth, or let's show this other thing. None of it flows together, and it just makes it feel very disjointed and just not really very fun to watch or rewatch even.
0: Yeah, I mean, the question is, again does it really matter you know this is one of the biggest films of all time it's probably going to be huge
1: oh yeah 100 does not matter this is just me being a trailer editor nerd
0: but i would like it. i mean it feels like that kind of thing it feels like a blockbuster it feels like avengers you know it feels like if anything was going to have an amazing potentially more cinematic story-led teasy trailer then then this would be it. it's, it's you know it's in the top 10 games of all time for pretty much everyone.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll have to see what happens when it launches, but I wouldn't be surprised if we kind of never get that Hollywood style story trailer, which means I'll probably just have to make my own, which is usually how
0: these things go. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of interesting. I remember back to the game, which was 1997, um, I remember TV spots coming out for that game, so I think it's probably the first time I ever saw a uh, any marketing for a game at all.
1: That's a really good point, because yeah, I remember the um, the TV spot pretty clearly, and they had the, the the voiceover, which is like... I forget what the first part is, but it, it ends with something like, In the end, there's always the reset button. An evil empire is sucking the life force from the planet, destroying all that's in its path. It's up to one soldier of fortune to save the world. If he succeeds... You survive. If he fails, you can always hit the reset button. And they're trying to make it like super hardcore, and they have all these cutscene moments, like the the creatures inside the 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 macro reactor containers or something like that. You see like this mouth uh, kind of screaming from the inside of this like little glass window.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I'm not sure I saw the same one. I think maybe maybe it was a Europe. Uh, North America thing, but I think what I saw was probably a bit more kind of orchestral and slow and dramatic
1: Oh, that's interesting Yeah, that, I should find the one that I'm talking about because it's probably just uh, it's just super 90s like 90s video game commercials are like this is extreme! And you know, you think about like, you know, Turbo Graphics or something like that, Every, All th- everything about games is extreme and uh, over the top,
0: so I'm really I
1: want to see the UK ones now
0: Yeah, well, if we can find them, then we'll insert them here. Yeah, so we wanted to talk this week about um, breaking into the industry because it's an industry that people are getting more and more aware of. Um, but it may seem inaccessible to some people and, and some people still don't realize that trailers get made by people other than the, the games developers or the the filmmakers.
1: Yeah, I saw a Twitter thread recently of someone talking about, um, oh, they're, they're putting out a call for people to reply with, what are the you know worst movies with the best trailers? And there are a lot of people talking about Man of Steel. And I saw a person saying, yeah, this just shows that Zack Snyder is not a good filmmaker, but he's a good
0: trailer editor. And I'm thinking... Zack Snyder did not edit those trailers. In a way, that point still stands because Zack Snyder may not be the best filmmaker, but he certainly makes visuals that work in the short form fantastically. Oh,
1: 100%. Yeah, all of that slow motion and the fast motions.
0: So he's a great trailer director, not necessarily, maybe. Right. <laughs> maybe he's not the, uh, the trailer editor.
1: Yeah. Actually, I know we talked about it a little bit before, but why don't we recap a little bit how we got into the industry
0: Yeah, well, um, I've talked about it before, but yeah, I came in as a tape op um, basically because I had a friend who worked at a trailer house and I was so lucky because I didn't know that it was a job and I certainly didn't know that it was a job that was done in London I was on the cusp of getting a job in a bank because I wanted to fund my own film so I would have something to edit and luckily I found out this was a job and uh, and then I got into it and there's another lesson that's in there really so I kind of moved from tape op to editor and the reason that I did that was because I was in a place that made film trailers and I absorbed myself in it and any opportunity that I had and any time that I had on an Avid, I just cut and absorbed myself and looked at the timelines of the people who were working there and reverse engineered how they were doing it. Lucky enough that it was definitely something that I wanted to do as a job and it, it really interested me. Um, but that was definitely the way that I succeeded once I kind of had my foot in the door.
1: I got into my first job by starting as an intern. I was an intern for my last semester, senior year of college. And I found out about it because one of the trailer editors visited a class that I was being a teaching assistant for. And actually another, my, another friend of mine was also interning uh, for them. And then after college, that friend of mine got the assistant job. There wasn't another one for me, but they ended up moving away. So they contacted me because I was next in line. Uh, And then I worked there for three years. So basically what
0: we're saying is the reason that we both got into the industry was luck. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I'm not sure that's the best lesson. That's a big part of it for our particular stories. You have to have a certain bit of luck.
1: Um, But the thing that I tell people usually is just how to know where to look. And the thing I tell them is that you should just go to the Golden Trailer Awards website, which I think is just goldentrailer.com. Mm-hmm. Because they have a directory page which lists maybe not quite all of the trailer houses, but basically all the trailer houses in U.S. and U.K. I think also. Yeah. Um, other places, international places. But um, if you're really looking to get into the movie trailers at like the big budget level, then the sad news is that you pretty much have to live in one of those cities which has a trailer house, which most of them are in Los Angeles.
0: Uh, yeah. So Los Angeles, London, and New York are the ones that I know. I mean, they are popping up all over the world. There's uh, there's definitely one that I know of in Amsterdam. I know there's a few in Australia, but uh, the majority are in in those kind of three towns.
1: Yeah. So consider one of those towns as possibly a, a goal of yours, if you're really serious about being a movie trailer editor. Um, and also there, for game trailers, there are a lot fewer houses than movie trailers, but... A lot of them are still in Los Angeles. There are also some in, I think, UK, and um, I know at least one in Montreal.
0: But yeah, I mean, what what the basic point there is that proximity to these places helps, and that will help you do probably the number one route which is kind of similar to what Derek and I did which is get your foot in the door at the lowest level possible which is usually kind of PA slash runner or driver in LA it was a runner in London because you had to walk everywhere and it's driver in LA that's true um, have a driver's license <laughs> have a driver's license uh, be able to make coffee and uh, kind of express enthusiasm and, and show any kind of work that you might have, even if it's for those lower level kind of jobs. They'll they'll want to know that you have an enthusiasm for traders and get one of those jobs. And, and when you're there, you use the opportunities you have to kind of try and move up as quickly as you can.
1: What advice would you give to someone who is in a city which does not have a trailer place and for various reasons, maybe they can't move to one of these cities maybe yet but they just have to kind of stick it out, but they still want to uh, get there eventually. What would, advice would you give them?
0: Yeah, I think there's, there's, there's lots you can do these days. Uh, when we started, editing equipment was a lot less accessible than it is now. But really, there's no barrier these days to just kind of cutting away. And I know people in the industry who've got their jobs through fan-made trailers on YouTube, and people have seen them and, and said, you know, seen something and said, actually, you know, would you like to work for us? Um, immerse yourself in trailers, take that content, re-edit them, try something in a different genre, really kind of stretch your skills and also research as much as you can. For example, Derek's website is a very good resource.
1: Uh, before I started, we started recording this,
0: I was actually curious what
1: came up if you looked up how to get into the trailer industry and my website's the first result. <laughs> I literally wrote an article that's called something like how to get into the trailer industry because again this this stuff doesn't get talked about much
0: yeah so there you go and and just a kind of general enthusiasm really you know watch trailers watch everything that's out there see what people are doing see what you could do to kind of subvert that and build a real. like i say there's kind of no barrier to doing that you don't need the material um even derek who is a successful trailer editor makes fan trailers for games to kind of still <laughs> yeah to scratch that itch and to kind of do interesting things with material um you know you can get the center dialogue stem from One audio we usually have clean dialogue uh you can use that you can use music library companies now put their music out on youtube you can download it um you know give them credit uh, there's lots of kind of royalty free music that's out there there are really great fan trader creators out there. Um, there's people on YouTube, Editing is Everything is one, who cuts cinematic trailers for YouTube vlogs. You know, try and do something interesting, find where there's a gap in the market, create that content, and kind of make a reel from nothing, really. There is no barrier to doing that.
1: Yeah, the other advice that I would give someone who is looking to get in, but maybe they can't, be in one of the cities which actually has a trailer place is to just get work at a video post-production place, just to get used to working in that kind of environment where there's maybe lots of stress and there's a lot of deadlines, because just being able to work in that kind of environment is really, really helpful, especially once you get to a trailer house, because trailer houses can be pretty hectic, especially when it's it's very busy, pretty much busy all the time. And if you can be ready for that sort of pace of work, then that'll make you really valuable. Um, I remember when I worked a little bit for Sony PlayStation in San Diego. And at the time, I didn't actually have a lot of finished trailer work, uh, especially for games. Because uh, after that movie trailer job, I worked at like an anime DVD production house. And I made some trailers, which they're okay. But it wasn't really good reference for games necessarily. So I used some of my fan trailers for games like Uncharted or Metal Gear Solid 4 as my reel for this PlayStation job, and uh, I got the job. It was just a freelance thing, but I remember one time we had a production meeting, and I during the meeting I had some things to say, and some suggestions for kind of how to move forward with something, and I remember uh, my producer, he came up to me afterwards, and he said, oh, I thought you were just a YouTuber. I didn't realize you had, like, experience. So... <laughs> Like, if you have that work experience, then that really uh, makes you much more valuable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. To this note, actually, we had uh, an interesting email from Ashley Rule. So Ashley wrote in saying,
1: "Uh, Hey, y'all, love the show and nerding out over trailers. I had a few questions for your episode on working in trailer industries. Uh, First question is... When building a portfolio, would it be a good idea to create multiple trailers for the same content but cut to different lengths, for example, a full trailer versus a TV spot?
0: And my simple answer to that is, yeah, absolutely. Uh, If you cut a trailer and you cut it at kind of 2 minutes 30 and then you did a 30 second cut down of that or actually kind of realized in doing the cut down that it was kind of impossible to maintain the, the same feel or the same story so actually you you think about doing something new given the restrictions of the length i think that's a really good muscle to be kind of stretching and and working on and doing and it's an essential part of what we do every day so absolutely that's a great thing to be doing
1: yeah and especially if you're working your way up you're maybe a junior editor getting cut downs is something that you're that's pretty much the first thing you're going to be doing so if you can just take a two and a half minute trailer make it You know, two minutes, make it one minute, make it 30 seconds, or just derive something from it that's 30 seconds. You could probably make multiple TV spots from one trailer
0: using that material. A cut down doesn't necessarily get easier with time. You know, yeah, a two minute 30 to a 30, at the very least, there's five 30 second TV spots in every two and a half minute trailer. Um, You will have to make some kind of decisions on what to focus on or what, what bits to play out. So, yeah, you probably could cut a few different ones. And it's a really interesting skill to kind of learn how to cut it and to realize that you can say that line in less time or maybe you don't need that line at all or you can just skip to a line that's a a bit later on and the, the sense will be kind of preserved
1: yeah and also something that might not be quite as fun but might be a good thing to try is to make a trailer and then just basically give yourself some difficult notes change notes to to implement like just take out a line of dialogue And then realize that you have to completely retime your existing music and then the the beats don't land exactly where
0: they were anymore. But Change the music. That would be the best comment you could give. If you get a trailer that you're really happy with, change the music. Client can't afford it. Change it. That is a great grounding in how to be a trailer editor.
1: That is a great skill to have. I can't imagine doing that for fun, though. (laughs) I guess it's not for fun. It's for training.
0: It's for learning. You can put that on your reel. Changed five music cues.
1: That actually would be pretty impressive to have a reel where they just had a trailer or TV spot two or three times with totally different music but the same dialogue. Um, It might not be the most interesting reel to watch. Like, my first impulse when I read this question was, you know, maybe it's good to just have a variety, so you have TV spots and have trailers in your reel rather than just a a shorter version of a a trailer as a TV spot, but... Uh, if, when I think about it, uh, I would respect someone who just had a lot of cut downs in the reel, or at least as, as an option to, to show, uh, maybe during an interview or something like that.
0: Yeah. And also to be fair, that's something you can do with you can do with existing trailer materials if you can get the trailer for a film that's just come out and cut that down to 30 seconds and say, look, this is a cut down I did of that trailer. Maybe try it with a different music cue.
1: Yeah, that's a really good idea. Actually, one thing I should mention here, uh, Rick was talking about getting um, dialogue from 5.1 Audio, is if you just look up, I I have a post on my website, it's called something like How to Get Clean Dialogue from Movies and Games. And in that, I show you how to get... Ideally, clean dialogue for movies or trailers. It's not always perfect, but it's a really good way to get practice if you want to make fan trailers and remixes. Uh, This is for movies specifically, because games, uh, everything released in game trailers online is stereo, as far as I know. But the good thing about games is that if you have the actual game and a capture card, then you can just turn off the music in most cases so you can get clean dialogue that way, which is one reason I made fan trailers of games.
0: Yeah, as proved, there are no limits to which Derek is prepared to give away everything he knows. (laughs) It's true. And then Ashley went on to ask "Is the extent to which editors actually do.
1: Uh, Yeah, Ashley asked, in trailer house companies, does each editor handle everything in a trailer? For example, sound effects, motion graphics, or does each trailer have a team of specialists similar to game and film teams?
0: Uh, Yeah, well, I can speak to to movies editors certainly do a lot I mean we have music supervisors we have producers we have graphics teams we have copywriters and creative directors but a lot does fall to the editor uh, especially sound design as as you mentioned the extent varies you know you might get a script or a kind of direction from the client or you might be kind of given free reign and have to kind of build it yourself. But no, everything that kind of happens on the timeline is generally done by the editor and that's music cutting, sound design, pictures, kind of rough ideas of what you want the graphic to do and how you want those to be integrated. They're all kind of done by the editor uh, and then kind of shown to the producer and works and then comments from the client. But um, everything at the kind of coalface happens with the editor.
1: Yeah, I would say though that motion graphics very 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 rarely are a thing that the trailer editor will do usually that'll be a specialized uh role this is also talking about trailer houses because if you're freelance then people generally want you to do everything
0: yeah you're a one-stop shop
1: it's the classic they call it a unicorn job title where you know you're looking for this amazingly rare being that does not exist which is you know I'm a trailer editor, I do sound design, I do uh, music, I do motion graphics, I do color timing, I do sound mixing, I do CG, you know, that's... It gets a little ridiculous sometimes on the the freelance market.
0: But I think to our earlier point about it being more accessible now, they're all skills that you can learn at home now. You have programs for sound mixing, for motion graphics. A lot of people kind of who are coming up now as editors don't just know one or two non-linear editing programs. They also know Logic or After Effects. uh, And they're kind of really useful skills to know and integrate.
1: I would say the bigger the house, the more specialized you're going to be. Once you get to like a really, really big house, then they might even be saying, do you want to do action trailers or drama trailers or animated trailers? Would you say that, that uh, you would agree with that?
0: Yeah, that is true. Although versatility is always useful.
1: And the next one she asked is, uh, as a freelance game trailer editor, how do you calculate what to charge clients and how do different factors change the pricing? For example, capture time, motion graphics, length of the trailer, etc.? Uh, i guess this one's probably more for me so i charge a flat rate for all my trailers now because i used to do hourly when i first started usually people start off hourly because it's the easiest way to do it because you don't know how long something's going to take but the faster you can get away from charging hourly the better because the thing is is that when you charge hourly basically you're punished for being efficient you know if you charge you know 50 dollars an hour but you get better at your job, suddenly they're getting more for that $50 an hour than they would otherwise. And then you just have to kind of keep adjusting. Um, But I don't know, when I first got started doing freelance, I didn't know where to start at all until I had a friend of mine who worked with HBO and they said, they just said to me, $50 an hour. So that's where I started. And I'm like, whoa, because at the time that was way more than I could have conceived of, just having a regular uh, in-house job. And then I kind of went from there. But I'd say now, at, at this point, I'm charging, I'd say, around, like, uh, it's closer to maybe like three to four weeks of an in-house editor's uh, pay, I would say. But it's still probably way lower than it would actually, than it actually should be, considering how many hats I wear now. Because, like, an editor at, in movie trailer industry can make, you know, six figures if, if they're high level. Um, but when you're freelance, you're just doing so many other things, too. So it's not quite like just taking your editor hourly rate in house and you know adding 50% or even doubling it or something like that so this isn't really good answer i guess i don't know how useful this
0: is i think it's that kind of thing i i have this um conversation a lot with people kind of getting into the industry in terms of maybe being composers or things like that like it's always hard to know to to change and it's always hard to know how much to charge and i think it's something that kind of you will learn as you go through the process and and people you could go in with a quote and people might balk at that and you go, Oh, okay. Right. Well, that's, that's clearly too much, but you know, talk to people and it shouldn't necessarily be something that's kind of under wraps, but um,
1: yeah, I th- I'd say ask as many people as you can to get a, an idea, but there's some good sort of gut check ways to think about how much you should be charging or how much um, you would like to charge. Just two little exercises that I like to tell people is the first one is just the, the client call test. So this one is basically, think, ask yourself, when the client calls, do I want to pick up the phone? If you don't want to pick up the phone, you're probably not getting paid enough. If you're like, oh yeah, I'll totally pick up the phone anytime, then you're like, great, because I'm getting paid X number. This makes me happy. You know, this will be different for everyone. Um, but that's a good kind of visceral way to be like, oh God, this person. Or like, oh, cool, this person's calling, you know. The other test that I have is, is like the, the the friend referral test. So basically, if someone says to you, hey, Derek, I need a trailer editor. Uh, can you recommend someone? And I'll say, sure, I know my friend Rick. And I'll say, how much are you going to pay? And if they say something like, I'll, I'll pay Rick $500, I would be like, absolutely not. There's no way I'm going to refer this job to Rick and say, hey, edit this trailer for $500. And the point of this test is that we tend to, as creatives, tend to like, devalue ourselves because especially once we get really good at our jobs, we're like, ah, oh, you know, this trailer, I could do it really fast. You know, it'd be no problem. I could do it for $500. But for other people, we will be like, no, 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 no. My friend is worth more than that. They would not go for that
0: amount of money. I don't know, what's this trailer for? I'll do it. I could buy an Oculus Quest with $500. <laughs> well, you're going to work from dailies and... Oh yeah, no. No, I'll do a (laughs) cut down. I'll cut down an existing trailer to 30 seconds for $500. Okay, that's more reasonable. Um, So there, I think we've kind of run the gamut um, and basically kind of then in the short form, immerse yourself in trailers if you know it's something you want to do. I wouldn't say necessarily it's a job to aim for If you want to do something else, I don't think it's a good stepping stone to feature editing or to kind of long form editing. I know people who have done it. But for me, the reason that I love traders is you focus on the short form. And I think that should be something that you're really interested in, in in kind of distilling that information. So build yourself up a reel as much as you can. Move to Los Angeles try and get a job at a PA, work your way up, cut as much as you can uh, and then get to the point where you're charging $500 plus for traders. Actually, I had a
1: question about your friends who got in by editing fan trailers and getting a job that way. When they came into the house, did they sort of have to work their way up? Did they start like
0: junior editor or how did that work? Anecdotally, I don't know, but I would imagine they would come in at a junior editor level and and maybe on a kind of six month contract to kind of see how it goes. I think it would be rare that someone would, would leap to a high level, but that's fine because you the one thing about kind of working out of house is you won't have experienced the kind of pressure and variety of work that you would do in a trailer house
1: and the other thing is trailer houses you know their upward mobility will vary depending on where you are um you know some places maybe you'll get opportunities really quickly some places might take a long time or you'll have to just push harder to get those opportunities but i remember when i came to los angeles and didn't have very much experience at all except for my fan trailers and my assistant job from my interviews, I got the sense that I felt like I was going to have to work my way all the way back from the beginning. Like I was considering being like an, a night editor at a trailer house, which basically mean like working really late at night and doing uh, assistant work as far as I know.
0: I think that's a good point, kind of resetting and being prepared to kind of be in for the long haul and work as hard as you can and make the best coffee that you, you possibly can. For as, long as, for as long as possible. And yes, those opportunities may not present themselves for a while, but just kind of do as good a job as you can and get a good reputation.
1: Yeah. And then aside from just like cold calling all these places, you know, occasionally they do post job listings on like LinkedIn, that sort of place. So just a lot of the big first step is to just know who these places are. Um, and this is pretty much all transfers over, I would say, for game trailers. Though a thing with game trailers is that I would say is different is... I think the the work gets interesting faster with game trailers in a certain way, because a lot of places, being a capture artist is pretty much an entry-level job, which you would think it would not be. But of course, there are people who are like high-level capture artists, but there are a lot of places where uh, that might be the first thing that you're doing, which is a really cool proposition for, I imagine, a lot of people.
0: You get to play video games all day long. Yeah, in a, in a manner. <laughs> yeah, or you play the same section of a video game 50 times
1: yeah and then you find out that the, the debug camera options are make it really really awkward to move a character in a certain way that you need to do uh and you send a bunch of footage to the editor and they say why is it like this and you're like oh, it just it's just I, you don't even know <laughs> and then the other thing for games is that there are just a handful of companies that are big enough to actually have their own video department but it's usually pretty rare it has to be a big company like riot or blizzard or Activision has a video department. And for those, you just have to look at their job listings and see if there's anything open. Uh, I'd say it's harder to get into a place like that.
0: And there was something else that Ashley emailed us about, uh, and it was the possibility of getting work somewhere, but starting as a freelancer, and then maybe that becoming a staff job.
1: Yeah, that's actually how I got my first work in Los Angeles, because I made a connection with a game trailer house. And I did an interview and um, they just said, were you open to some freelance opportunities? And I said, yes, because I wanted any work I could get. And uh, it took a few weeks, but then eventually a job came on and they just brought me in for, you know, maybe a month or so for that particular gig. And I got some more projects like that during that year. And eventually they hired me full time. So it is totally a viable way to Get your foot in the door if you're like an experienced editor and uh, you can get that interview.
0: Yeah, it's definitely something that actually a company is probably more likely to take a chance on you freelance uh, and then kind of see how you work and how you work within the company before offering you a staff job. Um, But I, I would say that you would have to have a kind of certain reputation or reel before you did that.
1: Yeah, and for the record, the reel that I had at the time was basically my number of fan trailers that I'd done for like uncharted games and metal gear solid so it is not unthinkable but they also they had a referral from me from uh, another trailer editor friend and they had seen my my work experience at other trailer places too so i can't say that it was only my youtube videos
0: that got me the work. And I've never worked freelance so I can't really speak to that although I do know there are a lot of freelancers around in the trailer industry although they're probably people with a bit more experience and and kind of people who are a known quantity.
1: And then the other question we got was from Christian Wright who emailed us and said hey everyone I'm a UK based video artist and editor I've been making video game related video content for about six to seven years now and have been heavily considering getting into trailer making as a full time profession. Um, Do you guys all work freelance or are some of you hired in studio to edit? To start out would you advise sending out fan trailers to smaller devs? Uh, Pitching to them first, or if you don't work freelance, is there a career path you have to take via marketing, etc., to get to the dream job? Uh, Sorry for checking so many questions together. I look forward to tuning in and hearing your thoughts best. Um, So we already addressed some of the stuff, so yeah, I'm... Independent. I work from home and then Rick works at an agency. I would say my advice for if you're trying to go independent or at least to get some work on the side doing trailers for uh, like indie game developers is first of all, you should just have a reel. Just have a website where you have examples of your work because people just want to be able to see what you can do. And I would suggest going to just the places that developers are. So It could be forums, it could be uh, maybe on Twitter, you put out a call, Um, but just find communities of developers and say, hey, I want to make trailers, check out some of the stuff that I've done. Uh, If anyone needs help, then uh, contact me. Or you could even just, you could try cold calling people say, hey, I think your game looks cool. Do you need someone to make a trailer for you? I mean, most cases... Game developers make their own trailers, for better or for worse. You might get some offers. Who knows? It's it's It takes a while to do. And the sooner that you can meet people and make friends, the easier it will be to get work. That's my general advice for getting started making trailers for indie developers. And then we got one more question from... Dean Bletchman, he said, Hi guys, in your last episode, Rick talked about how before he starts the editing process, he watches the whole movie and marks for himself the segments he might want to use later. I wanted to ask, how do you handle situation where you can't watch the entire movie? From what I understand, in case of high-profile movies like Avengers or Star Wars, the trailer companies might receive just parts of the footage, sometimes with the VFX uh, in progress. How do you make a trailer when you don't have the complete movie available to you? Thanks.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I mean, obviously, like I said last time, the more we have, the better. Um, But to be honest, usually you don't need everything. It's a sliding scale. You work with what you have. um, And that could be, as I said before, pre-existing material, or it could be literally every single thing they've shot on every day and you're making your own assembly and there's no stone unturned. Obviously in those situations like you mentioned in your email you get things where VFX aren't completed but you just have to kind of use your imagination and then you will encounter problems you know I've seen features where entire sections with characters are blacked out because they don't want it to leak Uh, sections usually sex scenes are kind of blacked out because they don't want those to kind of leak but you know that's stuff that you may not necessarily want to use for the trailer anyway because sex scenes you wouldn't want to be able to use and that character that's potentially a spoiler to the point where they don't want to show the trailer houses is probably a spoiler for the trailer so you wouldn't be using them anyway so just kind of work with what you've got and if you're not seeing it there's probably a good reason
1: yeah and i would say the answer to what you do when you don't have a complete movie available to you is pretty much you just do what you have to do in some ways it's easier because there are fewer options available to you so you have to just look at the pieces that you have and say okay how could this possibly be turned into a trailer how can i tell the story without certain elements um but just by having fewer pieces you just have to just find a way maybe it's maybe you need to add some more title cards or something like that or some voiceover but you just kind of have to make do actually a good example of this is for the prestige the the trailers don't show the machine that they built in that film they kind of jazz up what christian bale's character's trick is in that movie because in the movie the, the trick is really really simple it's just like this bouncing ball where he bounces the ball and then he's kind of teleports from one booth to another but the trailer does a lot of fancy editing and flash frames where they just made up a new trick basically
0: i suppose you have such a trick that's you I do it's the one they're gonna remember me for what happened it was the greatest magic trick I've ever seen yeah and well I mean while we're on Christopher Nolan as well I mean you look at the Inception teaser that is 13 shots Uh, and obviously that movie gets a lot bigger but you know think of the impact you know that's gone down as one of the greatest trailers of all time and it's all about the music and the tone and the copy and some amazing visuals but actually you know there's only a few VFX shots in there Um, and actually you can be very kind of minimal and still very successful so sometimes less is more
1: and you know great music get really good music always get really good music
0: yeah okay well i uh, i hope that answered your your questions thank you very much we love getting feedback and we're happy to answer any questions either offline or uh, or here on the podcast
1: yeah and if you have any follow-up questions or new questions you can contact us at cutdown at idlethumbs.net and on twitter we're at cutdowncast and i am at derek underscore lou
0: and i'm at rick thomas
1: We're part of the Idle Thumbs Podcast Network. And also, if you can, uh, leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the show. It's the only way that we can grow. And we also want to give thanks to our friends at Twisted Jukebox for our
0: intro music. And next time, after talking about what we do before we get started editing, we're going to talk about how to kind of overcome that blank timeline and get started and our process for doing that.
1: Yeah, after everything's broken down and organized, what is the actual cutting process like to get to that
0: version one? Great, so looking forward to that. And um, as always, thank you for listening. Yep,
1: thanks. If he fails, you can always hit the reset button. Presten